Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye. And, and it's, the return, it's the return of who? It's the return of Bayou. <laughs> Sorry, guys. You guys had to deal with just Austin last week. It's a pretty shitty episode, Austin. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm <Okay>. joking. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that, man. Should retire my podcast gig. <laughs> how's, it how's it going, man? How's the last, last couple of weeks been? Yeah, things have been pretty hectic. It's been going pretty well. So I mentioned in the last episode that I am going to be focusing on acquiring properties again next year, right? Through partnering with joint venture partnerships. We already have two under contract and two deals funded. I think you're funding both of them actually on yeah, the mortgage yeah. side. <laughs> you clearly are aware of the deal. This is not news to you. But yeah, so like one of them is a 10 acre property duplex with single family on it. And the other one is a duplex vacant possession. Both should be relatively straightforward projects. On the wholesaling side, things are rocking and rolling. If you guys are on the wholesale list, you've probably gotten the last few deals that we shot out that sold within like two or three days, all sight and seen clean. Yeah, it's been um, crazy. Yeah, I saw, saw really, those. What's causing that? Like, why are some of these deals just like flying off? Was it just like crazy deals? I didn't even get a chance to like look and then. I see it's yeah, <laughs> they're definitely crazy deals. I've gotten messages and DMs on Instagram from other like established investors saying, man, like we've been keeping an eye on your last couple of deals and it's just been ridiculous. And I think part of that is because our wholesaling systems are getting better. So a big thing for us is, of course, you need to build trust and honesty with the seller, but speed, the mm. ability to get comparables and show up face to face within the same day. Yep. Um, if we can't go to the same day, we try to lock things up uh, virtual wholesaling via the phone, but we put a priority in speed, um, which, you know, like some other wholesalers are new to the business, they might have to rely on several agents, which could take a day or two to get comms. Right. And by then, deals are usually locked up, right? Um, so we're kind of playing around with their systems, leading to good deal flows. We should have hopefully a couple deals coming out, maybe one in Hamilton within the next week or so. You know there's good demand there, but um, yeah, I mean, things have been picking up. Going to be hiring a dispo manager next year and hopefully take some work off my plate. How's yeah. that? <laughs> I don't know if there's any questions there. There was a lot going on. No, that's good. Shit. And like you said, I knew uh, about a couple of the acquisitions that you guys were working on. We talked about the deals. Like you guys, you, you told me that. I remember there was a day where you said you had like 40 phone calls and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, caught up and it's crazy man. the deal. Yeah, it was like 40 phone calls and 40 emails, which is a fuck up on my end because it means that I underlisted way too much, right? Like no one should be responding to 80 people or it was more than 80 people. Maybe it was closer to 100 in one day, like a single yeah, yeah. day. That is a huge issue on my end and mispricing. Yeah. Um, I should have really realistically spoke to 20 to 30 people max, right? And priced it more accordingly. But you live and you learn, right? Like I, yeah. I don't take pleasure in spending my entire day speaking to people up until 8 or 9 p.m. at night. Yeah, man. That's hectic. I thought, uh, I thought 6 p.m. cutoff was your thing. How's everything um, with you? Yeah, I just got back from vacation um, early last week. Uh, vacation was pretty fucked up, man. Like I, I, I went on vacation, thought my wife I was just going to work. Uh, two days out of the 10 days that we were on vacay, I probably, I worked every single day. It was so fucked up. Um, it, it, it reminds me of back when you were in, was it Cancun or whatever? And we were talking about yeah. this after as well, right? And you were kind of like grinding while you're in Cancun. And this is more so like, you know what, it happened. Like, how do I prevent it from happening now is I really got to like hire fast. Um, and, and so I've got a bunch of applications that I still have to interview people. Um, so there's a couple of people that are waiting on me to get back. So hopefully you hear this and you know what's up now. Um, other than that, we sold out of our Chesley flip. Um, you remember that one? So we, you and I had different. Yeah. So that one actually would be pretty interesting to break down. Um, so that one, we bought it for, I think it was 265 or something like that. Um, we ended up spending 65 grand on it. Um, and then we had to replace the furnace as part of the condition on the sale, right? So not, not really a condition, but we just had to replace the furnace. Um, so, so maybe another like five grand or something like that to so 70 or so. I think these are like my rough numbers from my memory, but we ended up selling the house for uh, $439, right? So when you and I talked, um, I think like I was expecting kind of around that $440 to $450 kind of ballpark. 
Um, and I think you were allocating much larger renovation, but a much higher like ARV from way back when we were like debating this deal and like who's right and who's wrong. So um, <laughs> the reality is sales price was low, but market value honestly supported at least like a 460 sales price. But someone came in, uh, quick close, two week close and all cash offer. And we were like, all right, man, I'm, I'll take that. Because we ended up um, the day after we sold, we bought a flip out in Prince Edward County. Uh, might end up keeping that as an Airbnb, might end up flipping it. I really don't know. Ultimately, the game plan from a renovation perspective is going to be the same. So I think I'm just going to run with it and, and kind of see what happens. So you picked it up at 265, 440. And how much was there in renos again, including um, I'd call it 70. Like I got to check like my actual. 70. How about staging? Do you remember? Uh, staging was included in that 65. Like that's like okay. the total cost. And I'm thinking. Um, that includes your closing costs, eh? Like no, no, not, not including like realtor commission. And and closing costs in terms of like initial land transfer tax, no, no. so on and so I, forth. No, no, no. I have I haven't booked I haven't updated book. It, it includes the closing costs on the purchase, not on the sale. But that's you know, like a couple thousand dollars. Like it's not huge, right? On the sale. Yeah. So was this mainly funded via cash or private money? Cash. It was all cash. Okay. So if you were to say that you were funded this with one hundred percent private money. That would it would be, it would look much different, right? Yeah, it would be like, 100%. okay, is the risk reward as worth it, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Dude, yeah. And, and you remember that rat issue? <laughs> um, yo, bro, yeah. so fuck. I was, uh, I went out there one day because I was like, okay, I'm just going to change the sheets because like this room smelled like fucking like something died in it, right? I changed the sheets. I took it outside, put it in my car. And then I'm, I walked back in the room. Like, why does it still stink in here? Like, it smells disgusting in this one bedroom. So then I started digging around, okay? There was a huge dead rat under the fucking stager's bed. And I'm pretty sure it came because the stager's bag was also under the bed. Like he just like left it there after like they set up staging. Pretty sure it came out of there. It was the most disgusting fucking shit I've ever had to deal with in my life. I was pissed. I, I, I called up my partner. I was like, bro, how much profit are we making on this deal? Is this shit really worth it? I was so pissed. It was a Saturday night. So there's shit like that. And reality is it is worth it. It's just one dead rat that I had to figure out how to dispose of. But um, it, was a, it was a fun process, bro. It was fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man like yeah i guess you gotta vet your stagers now too because apparently yeah. they might be bringing pests in the house <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> yeah that's funny stagers get paid on a month-to-month basis so maybe they're just like oh i hope this doesn't sell to <laughs> the furniture rambled on long enough so let's jump into today's episode we have a very special guest jordan clements jordan is a young real estate investor and entrepreneur he actually moved down from london england to ontario uh, started a soccer business, which is wildly successful, then started uh, dabbling his feet into real estate. He owns a flipping business, a wholesaling business, looking to get 50 units next year. Has done, what is it? like? A, if I remember correctly, Maya, you probably know close to 300K wholesale fee off of one yeah. deal. Yeah. yeah. And we, we get into all of that in today's episode. He's an extreme hustler. And man, his goal is to be a billionaire in 20 years. So I can definitely see that happening by the way his trajectory is. So Make sure to tune into this episode, guys. You don't want to miss it out. Quick thing, guys, before we get started in the podcast. Yes, you're hearing my voice again. Um, We forgot to record this part where we're adding it in. Basically, we're having a Rise Real Estate Networking event uh, next week on Wednesday from 6.30 p.m. till 9.30 p.m. Tickets are available on Eventbrite. Should be down in the link below. We're almost sold out at capacity, and it's only been one day since it came out. Make sure as soon as you hear this episode to get your tickets fast, because I guarantee it's probably going to sell out by the end of this week. Um, not to fret, though, we have big plans next year, many more events. So if you can't make it out to this one, there's going to be tons of events in January, February, March, so on and so forth. So make sure to tune in. Thanks, guys. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, hello, everyone. Very excited for today's episode. We are joined with a very special guest, Jordan. Jordan, how's everything going, man? Hey, good, Austin. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm super excited and uh, yeah, pleased to be here. Awesome, man. Jordan, so I obviously know you pretty well. I think Austin knows you pretty well. He's met you a bunch of times as well. For our guests, like, why don't you give everyone kind of a quick rundown of, of your backstory? Yeah, so my name's Jordan Clements. Uh, originally, I was born in uh, England, just south of London. And I moved over to Canada about five years ago. And yeah, currently living in Niagara Falls and been in real estate for about 18 months now. So it's kind of how, uh, where my current life is. A uh, bit of a quick background there. 18 months, eh? For some reason, yeah, I thought you were I, in I it for longer. It was a long, longer. <laughs> yeah, like you're doing some crazy shit in real estate, which we're going to get into. 
uh, hint, hint, uh, what was it, like 500k plus in a single day? Uh, we'll get into that, but let's start off with the backstory. So I, uh, obviously, you have a bit of an accent. You're not born in Canada. What brought you over to Canada? Give us a bit uh, more detail into your story. Yeah, so um, like I find a lot of entrepreneurs went to high school or what we call in England, secondary school, and didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, was was pretty good at, at soccer in, in England. So I went to a university that was basically a mix of business and soccer. And I still, while I was at university, I was like, I have no clue what I want to do. Uh, I tried some different things and uh, was like, I'm going to start a business. So I ended up um, speaking to a few guys and being like, okay, what business can I start? And my uncle at the time, who was actually living in Canada, said, oh, come and spend the summer with me. So I thought, sure, I don't know what I'm going to do. Came out here within a week. I had a business plan in mind. And uh, the following year, I, while I was in London, England, I decided to create a uh, Revolution Soccer, which is like a soccer coaching business um, here in in Canada, and uh, yeah, it kind of just led me to Canada, made me fall in love with the country more, and and yeah, I dive straight in. So not the traditional route into kind of entrepreneurship didn't work for a ton of people. I've always worked for myself, never really been good at working for other people. So yeah, that's kind of where I went. And you have a Canadian flag in the background, not what I'd expect from you, but that's cool, man. <laughs> So I don't want to skate over the soccer business either. I know it's not like a traditional like real estate business or something like that. But um, tell me about where that business is. Like, do you still have that running? Um, have you essentially like systematized it where you're not as heavily involved? Like, how do you spend your time between that and real estate? Yeah, so systemized. Uh, I started realizing that I have to hire someone um, working in the business, not on the business. Uh, I think it's the most common thing. So yeah, currently uh, I have a three full-time employees and I have between 10 and 15 seasonal staff. We see anywhere from 2000 to 3,500 kids per week um, during busy parts of the season. So it's still relatively busy. We have a, a cool new sponsorship deal with Puma that we've just, uh, that we're going to be announcing nice. uh, in January. <laughs> so that's cool. And, and yeah, kind of, uh, for me now, I get to do the stuff that I enjoy in it. If I want to go and coach, I coach probably about a night a week at the moment, which for me is just perfect. Um, and everything else is is really as systemized as it can get at the moment. So yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Um, but yeah, most of my time is focused on on real estate now. So here's the thing. You have a very successful business in soccer coaching, which you are able to systemize. What bought you over to real estate? Because for a lot of people, once you have a cash cow business, which it sounds like that's what you have with soccer, there's no reason to transition into real estate, right? Because you can have your life on autopilot with the money you make there. Yeah. So for me, I was kind of looking, I think very early on, when you start making money, you kind of look at two ways. Are you going to spend it on toys or are you going to going to build some wealth? So I think the first thing is reading, I know everyone, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and realizing, hey, like I'm not as rich as a 20 year old, I think I am. Um, and then I kind of started looking into real estate, YouTube, fallen across like quite a few real estate videos and was like, wow. And then obviously COVID happened and uh, basically wiped out my whole business. Um, we tried to pivot, but we weren't quite big enough to be able to pivot and have consistent revenue to be paying the outgoing. So kind of made me think like, wow, I have to do something. My back was really, really against the wall. And I saw it coming quite early. We did try and pivot, but just the way our business model was at the time, like we weren't, we weren't able to. Now we've kind of put some stuff, more stuff in place that, you know, if it was to happen again, we're a bit more sustainable and we can, we can keep it going and up and running. But being in an in-person service-based business, you know, that can't necessarily be done very well virtually is, was tough. So yeah, that's kind of what drove me into real estate and, and got me to, to start doing more action. That's pretty cool, man. I didn't even think about how COVID would have impacted your business because there's not many ways a soccer coaching business could go online, right? Like, I guess you could do the entire Zoom stuff. So tell me about how you got started in real estate. So I know you got educated from the YouTube stuff. Um, like, what was, your, what was your entry into real estate? Like, what did you really start off doing? Yeah, so um, kind of didn't, didn't go the traditional route. Um, again, uh, don't seem to do that a lot. But I kind of skipped a few levels. So I had uh, through networking, who my business partner now, Ryan, um, we met each other. He was Niagara Falls and uh, he was part of like a team down in Niagara and uh, they were a wholesaling business, basically. And I reached out to him and said, hey, 
Um, I need this. I need to do something. I'm going to be better than anyone else who, who you have on board. Um, can I come down? And I ended up going down and my first thought process was, well, I need money now because I think all my, all my capital was getting eaten away sustaining the, the soccer business. So I was like, I need capital now. So I need to provide enough value to this business that this guy has to pay me a salary. So straight away, I was like, well, kind of was figuring out the business for the first two to three weeks. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm the only person with real business knowledge of growing and scaling a business. So I was like, okay, let me, let me push on that. So kind of within two, three months, I'd negotiated my way into like a salary slash split of like wholesale deals and and yeah so i ended up going in and managing a team of wholesalers with pretty much zero wholesaling experience prior to it so kind of really backwards again but but yeah kind of went in that side and started wholesaling so seeing that you know how to scale a business is actually a question i guess for my business because i feel very much like i'm still working in it whereas i need to hire things out um, maybe pull from some of your experience, whether that be in the wholesaling business or in soccer. At what point do you start deciding to hire people? Because at the beginning, as you mentioned, you need capital today, and that's with a lot of new businesses. So you kind of bootstrap and do things yourself. At what point did you make that decision where it's like, okay, I need to hire someone and I can free my time doing other things? And what were some of those other things that you would be doing? Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I'm one of those people I work really well when my back's against the wall. So the more my back's against the wall, the, the harder I kind of work. So for me, again, for my soccer business, I knew that, you know, to, to scale, I needed someone else to do all the menial tasks that I weren't really, I wasn't providing as much value or I couldn't really, didn't see the opportunity cost of it, right? So I put my back against the wall. I necessarily didn't have the money to start the first hire, but I was like, okay, like I know for a fact, if I hire this person, I'll work harder for someone else, if that makes sense. So. I don't feel there's really a point for me where I go, okay, yes, I need to hire someone else. I think you kind of grow into that and it's like, eventually you have to do it. If that makes sense. Like I feel like now in the real estate, the business, um, me and my partner are discussing, like we have to hire someone else. There's like a, a time where we're like, wow, we're too busy on the stuff and, and we need to focus on what we're good at. So I, I think, yeah, kind of just, there's a must point where it's like, you get to that stage where you, I don't say stagnant, but you're not seeing it as effective results because you're doing the menial tasks that are making you tired or more annoyed, frustrated. And yeah, so kind of getting you back into that fun enjoyment zone. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. Um, the one thing, this is kind of like a wholesaling note that people will notice in the wholesaling business is all your expenses are upfront, where all your revenues recognize months down the line, right? Um, and as a first year business, you're going to like, even if we, we hit our threshold of a million plus in revenue um, a while back. And even then it's like, man, some of this revenue is not recognized until next year. <laughs> so it just always feels brutal. I think part of the debate with like the hiring someone is you always want to hire someone before you actually need them. Right. So for the most part, I think it is always just going to be a leap of faith, right? It's like, if you hire someone, then you give them work. And like, I don't think any of us are people that are just going to sit idly on our butt and like do nothing. Right. So it's like, once you've given them your work, now you can take on more like business essentially and keep growing your business. Right. So that's cool, man. So I, I know you, you were doing the wholesaling thing and you went into wholesaling with essentially zero like sales experience. Right. I guess, I guess the soccer coaching business, you did a little bit of sell, sales, but like not as much as direct like wholesaling sales experiences. Right. So um, tell me about that. Like what was the learning curve there? Like how did your first couple of months or a year or so in wholesaling go? Um, what were the learning lessons there? Yeah. I mean, my my language i kind of was like fuck it you know like what's the what's the worst thing that happened it might, i have a like a big saying i know everyone everything's figure outable so i was like you know i wanted to go i went straight in the deep end i was like straight to sellers houses let me negotiate you know i was writing contracts wrong um putting <laughs> things in wrong places like the first few were you know sticky but uh, you know for me i'm one of those people that i'll just figure it out like if worst case, if you, you know, put me in a room and said, Hey, figure this out, I'll do it. Um, one of those people that either blessed or lucky with that. Um, uh, but for me, that was kind of the way it went. Um, I guess owning a business and running it, being an entrepreneur all the time, you're always a salesman, right? You're selling yourself first. Like for me, my entry was, you know, a 19, so, well, when I first started an 18 year old person who was trying to run a business over the other side of the world, you know, there's a big 
sales push there of just me selling myself you know we were selling ourselves to boards and clubs and people so you know it, there's an element of sales there you always have to be able to talk to people and be a personable person and i think that's probably 90 percent of wholesaling as well is you know if you're able to talk to someone and, and be on their level then you're going to be successful with whatever you do and that's you know kind of what i took into that first first period there so what was the first year of wholesaling like like how long did like i guess were you out there like door knocking, sending out flyers, interacting with sellers, um, negotiating and locking up deals yourself, or was that more so what your team was? Um, a mix, Josh. I was teaching as well as doing, uh, as well as learning. So it was kind of all rolled into one. So I was trying to teach door knocking while learning door knocking while doing it myself. So it was, you know, for me, um, one of those people I learned by teaching other people. Um, I don't know the correct term for that, but you know, the easiest way for me is to to teach them. So that's kind of how I learned myself. I kind of puzzled it together while teaching them, um, but making it as clear as possible to them. So yeah, I was out door knocking, um, posting flyers. You know, for me, it was also a point like I had to prove to these guys that I knew what I was doing. So I was having to work twice as hard. You know, I was in three or four hours before everyone else leaving late. Um, you know, that first month, the first three months there, I, I had like two days where I didn't work for the whole for the whole three months that I was there so you know it was for me it was kind of proving to them and and figuring out but yeah I was out there door knocking answering flyer calls going to walkthroughs teaching them how to write a contract even though I didn't really have or never done it before so just figuring it out in my uh in my room so yeah it was it was cool I'm curious to hear your door knocking strategy, if you don't mind sharing. <laughs> Is this putting you on the spot there? I know a lot of it comes to just uh, being personable, right? How do you approach door knocking typically? Uh, it's a strategy that a lot more people should be doing. Actually, our bird dogs are doing it as well. Um, but but the issue is, is that it, it's, again, comes down to consistency, right? Being okay with rejection and kind of figuring out the right things to say as well without being too pushy, right? So just wanted to hear your approach. Yeah, like, again, starting kind of quite generic, but we always ask, like, if they know anyone that's interested, if they've considered themselves. And you can tell, I guess every situation is going to be different. Um, but when speaking to people, you can tell straight away, like what sort of person they are, you know, whether they're going to shut you off or whether they want to chat. Actually, the flip we've just done, that was from door knocking. And the connection there, me being British, he was Irish. I just let him honestly abuse me for about 15 minutes about being English. So I know obviously not a lot of people have that, but understanding that, you know, I'm not taking it personally. It was kind of like a joke on myself and, you know, that level of personal personable banter that I was able to to get with that person. Door knocking is kind of like very, very mixed. Like with when it comes to return on time more than anything, I feel that, you know, now since we've got more and more leads coming through, like the return on time is not as big as, you know, maybe flyers or other marketing is. And obviously for me, it's got to be targeted. Like us being out there on foot in a certain neighborhood for an area, it's not necessarily targeted. Um, Whereas that's, that's my biggest downfall with it is, you know, it, just the time of it that it takes. It's a great way for someone to get started when their time isn't worth the whole lot. But I guess once you've, um, you know, set up systems and, and done some successful stuff, then the opportunity costs pretty significant, right? So I think you jumped into the wholesaling world. Um, you were working for someone else's company. Um, and I know now you, you guys have decided to kind of branch off and, and do your own thing, right? So tell me about, a little bit about that decision-making process, like how you felt leading up to it, what you did to, I guess, prepare yourself for success because i'm sure a lot of people want to do the exact same thing like whether it's leaving a nine to five or whether it's you know you, you weren't necessarily nine to five but um you had simple. stable salary yeah 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 stableness right so for me it was the first time i had stableness so it was the first time i had like consistent salary coming in um because as everyone knows leaders actually last not first so through the stock business never got like consistent pay for stuff you know if i went into the session never got never got paid till the end of the year or whatever so yeah, that, that was the toughest thing for me because you kind of get used to it, right? You get used to the salary, you get used to being comfortable, you know what's coming in, anything else is bonus. And yeah, it was, it was a tough decision, but I was looking at it and um, me and Ryan, who were, we were wholesaling these deals and yeah, we were making really good fees. We were making like 70, 80, 90K a fee, but the investor was flipping it in like two weeks and making like 200 grand, which is great. Don't get me wrong, it's great. But we were kind of looking at it going like, we keep two of these deals and, you know, it saves us from doing, you know, we don't have to do 10 other deals. 
you, you know, we can do two or three of these larger deals and then the rest is just gravy. So we kind of looked at it there, whereas the, the goals of the business that we we're working for, they just wanted to wholesale everything. So we kind of looked at it and was like, you know, we want to do more than just wholesale. We wanted to be the active as well. We wanted to basically bring in, you know, do flips ourselves. We wanted to buy and hold ourselves. But, you know, working for a wholesale business, there's a massive conflict of interest there. You know, do you pay a fee? Is the fee going to, you know, so for us, we kind of looked at it and was like, you know, maybe we should just go and, and do this ourselves and and capture more of the, the active side. And we also have big goals ourselves to, to hold units. Um, so, so that was kind of the, the decision making that side. And it kind of, uh, we always laugh now as we're like, you know, we worked out that on our salaries, it would have taken us seven and a half years to make what we did in just one of our flips. So, you know, or one of our flips plus that the other deal that we did last week. So yeah, it's kind of like, we look at it now and we're like, oh, we wish we did it earlier. But yeah, it, it's a big, again, leap of faith right? It's that risk, risk tolerance level. As you mentioned, you're not great at working for people. So it was no. sooner or later, you had to do it yourself anyways. <laughs> no, um, yeah, agreed. Why don't you walk us through um, kind of the process of doing wholesaling yourself? Because now I would imagine that you have no team members, you're doing everything from beginning to end of the transaction. Um, was that a huge learning curve again? And did you underestimate the sheer amount of work it would be or did you kind of go in knowing what you were getting yourself into yeah i mean we had an understanding because we ended up like doing a bit more than wholesaling in the other business um the biggest learning curve for us was when we did our flip the other side of it after you close like you know with wholesaling and assigning as soon as that close date comes it's like yeah we're finished we're done like have a good deal sort of thing whereas like you know we closed and we're like you know, not no systems in place for anything after the close. And it's kind of like, you know, we, we ended up being in again, working in the business. So we were like painting on the first day of the flip. And I remember turning to Ryan and like, we're trying to penny pinch like a thousand or 2000 bucks by getting the paint, doing it ourselves. And like, there's me with a painter and anyone who knows me manual labor or anything like that. I'm the worst person. You give me a hammer and I'll, I'll use the wrong end. So I'm there painting and I, I said to Ryan, I was like, I'll pay someone a hundred grand. I don't care if we lose money to paint this room because I hate it. I cannot do it. But we had to go through <laughs> those pain points to do it. So it was more the other side for us. It's like learning that, do you know what? Pay people to do stuff that you definitely don't want to do. But in the same aspect, we had to do it. Like we were super hands-on with this flip, whereas we probably would have done it in, you know, I say half the time, but half the time if we'd have had a, eggs in in place to to make sure that we could do it but we had to do it and yeah never pick it up a paintbrush again ever i still remember talking to jordan like the weekend after or the week after he painted that and he was like man like this is so fucked up i was like what happened and he's like dude i had to paint this room and i'm like what the fuck it's a little bit dramatic for, for having to paint but i totally understood man like i've been in those situations where you're like you're making 20 grand and you're like is this worth it? And in reality, like it's 100% worth it, like from a financial perspective, but yeah. it's just shit you don't. And, really and just like. even quality of work, because I remember doing that with my first property and we're patching drywall and we made it over patchy, didn't sand it. And we're just like, fuck it, we'll just hire it on. The painter came and was like, bro, I got to charge you more for labor. I was like, cool. <laughs> I got to sand all of the shit that you did here. You guys did it all wrong. So no, it's, it's definitely a huge time saver. Um, just want to get into details about that first flip. Um, so let's walk through everything from the numbers, how you got it under contract and negotiation process and when you sold it firm. So let's, Actually, let's go be, through that. Before we go into that first flip, because I think that first flip came from kind of like your wholesaling business, right? So I want to like, I want to understand because you went from wholesaling in a business where there was staff, there was like all these other things in place. So now you guys are doing it yourself. What's the main difference? So for us, like the, the main difference was we could make the decision. And that's, you know, that's a good thing for us. We, we kind of said, okay, what we're going to do for the first two months is we're going to do everything the, the business didn't do. So we were going to go out and door knock. You know, we were going to call up realtors, property managers. We were going to go like the other way because we knew flyers work, but, you know, everyone knows flyers is super saturated at this, at this present moment. So for us, we were like, look, if we can get a deal without using flyers, we know that we're onto something. We know that we've got it. We've got our systems right. We know what we're doing. So yeah, so the first two months, we were just like door knocking, driving for dollars, like being really specific with what we were doing. 
Um, and yeah, that's kind of how the first one come about is, you know, we started targeting houses and actually funny enough, it wasn't one of the houses we were targeting, but the guy was outside and yeah, we just, I was just like, Hey, you know, you don't know anyone who's interested in selling. And he just went, I am come back and have a beer. And of course you can't say no, as soon as they say, let's have a beer and, you know, had a, quite a few beers and then come back the next day. He was, you know, he was just putting out that he was totally sober when he signed the contract. It wasn't some <laughs> sort of alcoholic. Um, but but yeah, came back the next day and and that's kind of what we decided to do. So yeah, first first start was really uh just bootlegging. Like we said we're gonna spend like zero money whatsoever and let's see how many deals we can kind of get um off of the back of that. So then the first deal came from kind of that oh like walking around talking to people, building connections and so on, right? Um yeah. how did you guys go about closing that first deal then? Because at this point, no salaries. I don't know what your personal capital situation was, but like, what was your strategy there? Yeah. So once we knew what we had it for, I'm not going to lie. We were a bit kind of worried. I was worried at the start we overpaid. I guess all those things go through your mind. It's not like a wholesale deal where you're like, ah, it's, it's gone. Um, so we spoke to a, a mortgage broker and we, we ended up using Calvert, um, who are pretty flipper friendly. So we actually decided to privately raise the 20% plus the renovations. So we were 110% lev- leveraged up. Um, on the deal, but we were like, you know, I always think if if we lose all the money, like, am I going to make five hundred grand to pay them back in my life? A hundred percent. So, like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like, I'm definitely going to make money back. It's going to flow back to me. So, so yeah, we ended up raising that um, portion from just like a friend of a friend, and um, yeah, we went went for it that way, and and that's how we ended up doing it. Closing, lots of lessons learned uh, prior to closing. Um, there was like a portion of the APS that we that we signed that when we docu signed it back over didn't scan back. So the bank were going crazy at the start for that. Like just stupid little stuff that, you know, it's just just pain points for no reason that we just needed to have to make sure that we were in place. But but yeah, that's kind of what we decided to do. So we went with Calvert for 80% um private and then uh we raised the other, I would say 30% that we needed plus renovation budget. Nice. How would you guys end up doing on that deal? Like, I, we obviously know. <laughs> yeah. So, so we picked it off a of four forty. Um, we ended up putting eighteen thousand into it, and uh, we sold firm last week. Uh, Wait, stop, stop. Eighteen thousand. Yeah, 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 Look, yeah, let's yeah. walk through that scope of work. <laughs> That's fucking nothing. <laughs> so originally, we were going to hotel the deal because it was a good, like, it was a good deal. We thought, like, as is, it would probably be worth about five fifty because those were the comps that we got when we purchased it. We were thinking five fifty. And then we had a, a comp down the road sell for like 617. And we're like, hang on, like, you know, we've got a bit more amenities than this place. Like, what's going on? It's in 10 times worse condition. And we were like, hey, let's just, you know, let's put new floor in, let's paint, do new handles. The kitchen was already there. We just needed to put backsplash into it, like a brand new kitchen. And um, yes, yeah, so we decided to, to do that. We did, you know, a lot of it um, on the cheaper stuff. Um, but we kind of like, again, having problems through, like we paid super cheap for flooring, did half the flooring and then it wasn't clicking right. So we had to take out all the flooring and redo all the flooring again. So just again, pain points that we had to learn, but, but yeah, 18,000 and, and then uh, plus staging, um, which we paid for, which I super recommend for anyone who's doing a flip. And yeah, so 18,000, that was kind of the scope. So we did floors, backsplash, painted everywhere, new handles and just touch ups trim there's some door frames that needed done but that's still cheap that was completely hired out yep you got some you got some good laborers <laughs> working for you man charging you labor two years ago <laughs> yeah yeah so so we did we did good and then um yeah last week we we had over 86 showings in seven days which was amazing we listed at 549 and we sold firm for 705 which for us like blew our mind. That's a killer deal. Yeah. Did you guys go to the bidding date or did you sell it before the bidding date? No. Yeah, we went to bidding date. Okay. Um so we were kind of apprehensive because we were expecting like a couple of preemptives to come in and nothing come in and we were we were kind of worried. But there's so many people walk through. Like my biggest worry was everyone was walking through it going, this is listed way below where it should be. Like we're not even gonna bother to put our hat in the ring. And then yeah, we ended up with well, after the, what the realtor kind of went back and forward, um, we had yeah seven oh five, and yeah, we were still stoked. We're still pretty shocked at it because we were expecting 
you know, after that comeback, like mid sixes, but anything, anything above six and we were, you know, You're doing fine. well. So, yeah. yeah. Was the 705 um, the highest and cleanest offer or was it the cleanest offer, but not the highest? No. So we had uh, four offers around 650, some conditional, some not. And um, one came up to 675. And so we called up the rest and was like, hey, um, how close to seven or how high can you get? Um, and yes, yeah, someone wrote 50K above what their first offer was. <laughs> So, Just, you know. It goes to show people don't put in their highest offer even yeah. during a bidding situation. That's always worthwhile to call people back. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. And I, I know this weekend you guys had a, another huge win. So, why don't we talk about that? So, this one's going to be your cottage resort portfolio, right? So, yeah. So, this one was probably the craziest deal um, I've ever seen or heard of. So, we had some hammer and flyers that me and Ryan, we've just hand post. Anyway, we must have posted it in someone's house and they'd gone on a trip up north um, to a cottage resort and left the flyer underneath a bed at a cottage resort. So this is like the biggest coincidence in the world. But um, we got a, a call from someone who's like, hey, you know, I want to, you know, do you guys buy a cottage resort? Of course, yes, we buy, you know, we buy a cottage resorts. And uh, what happened was someone had gone up there, left their flyer. His cleaner had called in sick. So he was cleaning one of the units. And it said, like, we buy your property. So I, like, you know, I want to buy your property. And, and yeah, so he called us and we ended up, like, trying to figure out, like, figure out how to value this thing. So it was a 16 cottage um, portfolio with a banquet hall and, like, a primary residence all in, like, a horseshoe uh, with, like, lake access. Um, managed to negotiate, like, a BTB on it. Um, yeah, like, crazy, crazy deal. Like just even figuring out everything, like it was super mad. I know we had tons of calls about it, um, but it was, yeah, it was super interesting deal. So we, we locked it up for uh, 4.5 and we assigned it for 4.8. So yeah, it was crazy deal. Let's talk about that a bit more. How did they take you seriously? Because I assume they're using, if you own a 16 cottage portfolio, they're using words and terminology where you're just like, what the fuck are you even saying? Yeah, it was definitely like one of those, again, it was one of those like learning in the moment. And I guess because like we had that good base understanding in real estate anyway, I guess hospitality businesses, they're, they're kind of valued quite differently, still on a cap rate, but they're valued differently. Whereas I just put the whole real estate like focus onto it, you know, like what the basic principles that I know through real estate and what can we put onto this? So we did it the same. We valued it with a cap rate, um, you know, looking at NOI and stuff like that, like it's still a traditional, like I looked at it as like a 16 unit building. Like the only difference is, is there's obviously different maintenance and everything else is kind of different. Um, more run like a hotel than anything, but the basic principles are still the same. Right. So I guess 16 unit buildings are valued as a business, right? So, so really the real estate valuation methodology doesn't change. What's probably changing, like you said, is the expenses and the cap rate, right? So I'm assuming if there was like a 16 unit purpose built. This one was in Halberd, right? So, so I was just saying that if there was a 16 unit, like multifamily, like building in Halberd, that cap rate that they would have used would be probably a little bit different from the cap rate you would use to value a resort, right? So that's, I guess, where the main difference yeah, yeah. is. Um, but I mean, like, what was the due diligence process on your end to lock up a resort portfolio versus like a real estate portfolio is probably like, just like, you know, single family house, here you go, done. Like, we're, we're good, right? <laughs> Yeah. So the main things came in like the land, um, what the different zoning was. Um, it was drawn up on three different APSs. Um, you know, now we're having to get like a business valuation for it. There's kind of like several different things. There was pins that were linked to different pins. There's certain parts of the beach that were used that couldn't be used. There was those headaches, but the to be fair, the seller, um, very like motivated, but was also super helpful. So like it took like a three or four trip for me to go up there and walking me around. Like, I guess once you, you like, you don't know what you don't know, but as soon as, uh, you know, as soon as he explained it, it still is relatively easy to understand. And I guess the big benefit for this is there's so much upside in something like a resort like that. There's so many different avenues you can take it. It's not like a building where, you know, your main area is to increase rents or decrease expenses, you know, 
when you look at something like that, you can add so many different factors. Like you can add a restaurant there that increases your NOI. You know, you can Airbnb out your house. You can, you know, reduce staff by doing, there's so many different avenues that you can go down. And I guess for me having a business understanding and background as well, like traditional business, like it was easier for me to kind of see that where it could go. Um, but yeah, it was a difficult, <laughs> difficult deal. It was a very difficult deal to assign because there's only a select amount of people who can take it down. How so, yeah. is the assigning process any different from a, a regular like real estate transaction though? Yeah. Was there any like particular qualification you did when you found the buyer? Yeah. So this is one of the areas that again, in the future, like I know if we get a resort under, under contract, we've got one in the pipe at the moment again. So if we do do, I think it's an area that we do need to check. It's like, how can you ask someone without asking them, you know, what capital do you have? Like, it's like that very fine line of being like, too over the top. So for us, it was, we figured out it was like based on like experience, what have they previously done and probably portfolio size. Those are like the three main questions that we kind of had is like, you know, how are you, how are you executing a deal? What have you done previously? How long have you been in real estate? And you know, what's your current portfolio size look like? And that really like reduced the amount of people that we had there. Cause we had like over 150 people inquire about the deal. And then when you call them up and it's like, Oh, you know, I, I'm just interested or, you know, just interested to, I've never done a deal before. Like those are, it's like, you know, well, how are you going to do this deal? Well, you know, I know X, Y, and Z would do it. And I'm like, well, you know, that was the the tough part. And because it's a, also a business deal, due diligence is like two months. You know, we had our period of trying to assign the deal, but everyone wanted their two months of due diligence as well. So, you know, for us, we have to have everything in line to be able to sell them the deal like as is firm as quickly as possible. Yeah. Cause you guys had the financing basically like, you had, it's not like it was signed and like ready to be funded, but you had like, okay, like here's a lender that'll give you like X amount of like dollars. Yeah. Value. Here's a BTP in place. And like, this is how much money you need. Right. And you've got the numbers and the finances. Um, your buyer's package is definitely pretty detailed. I guess that goes the long way as well. Right. Are you guys becoming like a little like resort, like wholesalers, like with the second resort that now you've got in the pipeline or. <laughs> Well, the seller of the seller of this one called us up and was like, Hey, I've got another resort. Do you want to flip it with us? If not, you know, do you want to work with us? So we've actually That's got so two. In, we've, <laughs> we've actually got we've actually got two in the pipeline because someone else who saw our buyer's package said, Hey, um, do you want to come and value ours? So yeah, it's not something that I definitely want to specialize in because it was uh this has been a hell of a deal. I mean, the fee's fantastic, but uh, I mean you can't argue with that. But but yeah, it's you know, it's definitely something that now we're getting a lot more used to that. I think we've got the buyers now in place. A lot of people that we have spoke to that missed out on this one, they're desperate for another one. So of course, like for us, if we have something ready to go, then it's definitely something, you know, is going to be looking for the future. Yeah. I guess like if the average, I don't know, just make your numbers, if the average wholesale deal fee is like, call it like 30, 40 grand. And this is like essentially like 10 wholesale deal fees like put together. And I'm going to argue that maybe it's not, 10 times as much work, right? Maybe it's like four to five times as much work, right? So the ROI is definitely there from, from, from your perspective. Yeah. 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 And when you find a particular niche, you're not competing against other wholesalers on your regular residential or even multifamily yeah. deals. Now you found your own particular niche. So if someone wants to buy a resort-like deal, there's only one person they can go to, right? So the yeah. buyers start flocking towards you. That's actually a genius strategy there. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're, what we're looking at now, but in the same as- aspect, like, for me, with wholesaling, we kind of want to be a bit more active. So it might be that we actually get our feet wet and see whether we can flip one ourselves. So I know you That'd said cool. earlier that you guys are also trying to build your own portfolios, right? So like, what's that journey like for you guys? Because I, I know we spent a good amount of time talking about wholesaling and flipping, but just curious on the portfolio side. Yeah, so so we're looking at acquiring 50 units in a year. Pretty aggressive there. We're five down at the moment. So we closed on five in uh, October. So that renovation process starts there in, uh, in January. That's going to be a full burr actually in, um, in just outside of Chatham, um, a, a five flex outside of Chatham there. So, so yeah, that was, that's kind of where we're, where we're looking at going as well. So we've kind of got like lots of different hats on, which is super cool, but we're just taking as much action as possible. You know, we're still trying to JV and, and get those sort of deals as well, working with JV partners, raising capital, doing our flips. Are you guys JVing on the flips or on the, like the, the multifamily, like hold? Just multifamily holds because like myself and Ryan, we both don't have like an income. We have to leverage JV partners on that side. 
And on, no, on our flips, we just raise capital. Um, we don't we don't JV on those. Yeah, that makes more sense on the flipping side because when you start splitting, if you and Ryan are splitting 50-50 a 50 and that other person's getting fit, like there's no there's not much profit there and plus you're doing all the work. So so Jordan, one of your goals to get 50 units, just out of curiosity, are you specializing in a particular market or are you going wherever the deals come by? Because I know that you obviously know inside out the Niagara market, um, but now you're buying in Chatham as well. Is there is there any specialization there? Again, I think it comes back to figuring stuff out, but like, I guess if we can leverage any kind of market and we can build a team there, like our growth and scalability is going to be 10 times faster, more effective in different places. So I guess once we kind of crack the code, we're still trying to crack it. You know, I've had countless trips up there, which ideally is not not the most systemized business uh, model, but, you know, learning more each time we go up there. So yeah, so kind of any market that we, that we see a, a good spread in that I think is going to work, we were wholesaling with our old company in Winnipeg. That's a totally different ball game over there. So again, just kind of learning, learning how to build teams in different areas, I think is kind of more of our goal, um, wherever the deal will take us. Um, but trying to still stay as focused as we can in Niagara, because we're here currently. Um, I don't know whether I'm going to be there in the near future. But yeah, I guess guess the uh, the scalability model for us are kind of anywhere in, in the Ontario at the moment. I think at a point in time, it, it makes sense to become masters of one local market and, and buy in that local market. But in today's world where like deals are scarce, right? Like it's harder to get a deal. The bigger the funnel, meaning the more the number of cities that you cover, the bigger your funnel and the bigger the number of deals that you come across will be. Um, are you guys, are, are you still like centered on like specific markets or are you just kind of like, I'll buy anywhere where there's a good deal? Yeah, no. Uh, likewise with Jordan, at this moment, it's like, it's hard to grow with scale in one particular market unless you're buying apartments. But even then, like how many apartments are there? How many com- like there's a lot of competition. So we're just the, the good benefit that we have. And, and likewise with Jordan is that we get deals all across Ontario and we get first look at them. Right. So if a deal is going to be a home run and the numbers are going to work out, I, I don't mind taking it down. I'll figure the rest of it out later. I know, as Jordan says, not the most systemized thing that you can do, but as you start working, you start figuring things out on how to break, like crack the formula to make it more systemized, right? But until then, I'm just taking things down. We're taking one down in, in Chelmsford, which is up in Sudbury, and we're taking one down in Stratfordville, which is near St. Thomas. So we're like also all over the place now. Awesome, man. Um, all right, Jordan. So, so generally at this time of the episode, we like to ask our guests kind of like three kind of wrap up questions, right? So the first question is, where are we going to be seeing you five years from now? What are your goals, business, personal, whatever it is? Are you going to be in Canada? Ooh. Um, so for me, um, location-wise, uh, I don't know how you guys deal with the snow. I hate it. Um, so I'm probably going to look to Snowbird, um, find somewhere hot for the, the winter period and, and come back to Canada. That's definitely a goal, actually, in the next kind of like 24 months is, is to find, find myself somewhere there. Um, don't really have a, a unit goal. I know I want to uh, build a, a business kind of like a flipping business for sure. Once we get our systems down, um, for me now, real estate's kind of the opposite. So it's kind of my tool to build my soccer business. So for me, it's been good to kind of fund that and grow the team on that side. So I know for, for that particular business will be the largest in kind of North America in five years. That's where we're currently our trajectory is currently going. So yeah, real estate wise, it's going to be kind of interesting. I guess there's so many different paths you can go down. Um, I'm only 24, so I'll be 29 at that point. So I'm still hella young. So I don't know. Um, it's kind of like a, a bit of a out there. Who knows? Billionaire? Ooh, five years, bit bit too tight. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe 10 years, but, but that's the goal, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're going to see you in Forbes 30 under 30. Or 40 oh, under 40. One of, 40 them, one of them. <laughs> Let's target 30 under 30. And, you know, worst case, you'll hit the 40 under 40 list. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's figure out. All right. Well, this, this uh, kind of ties into this next question. If you want $10 million in cash, you're already going to make less. But if you want $10 million in cash, what would you do with it? How would you spend it? You only have seven days to spend it, not be all in real estate. Yeah. So um, I'd, give, I'd give a lot back. Sounds weird, but like I say, it sounds weird. Like family, like a lot of my family, um, you know, 
I haven't seen, I'm actually going back to the UK in December. So whenever this airs, I might be in the UK. Um, but I haven't seen them in three years. And, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's important to give back. So I'd give a lot back, buy them their dream house and then the rest invest. Um, probably um, in the soccer business, we've kind of cracked the model um, here. So now it's about scalability. So I definitely hire on some more intelligent people than myself to guide that there. So, and then of course, like, not all of it would be in real estate, but most of it would be uh, would be in real estate. Maybe a couple of toys, a yacht. No, not a yacht. Uh, maybe a boat or something. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a big toy guy. Awesome, man. Uh, okay, let me ask you this then. If you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you choose and why? Uh, Trump. I'm, uh, I'm pretty, uh, I'd say pretty brutal, pretty straight to the point. And uh, yeah, I love his, like, I, I feel like he's very much the same. Um, I just, yeah, I just like the way he kind of is, like, like his tra- trajectory and yeah, he's just a super intelligent guy and uh, yeah, controversial and, you know, sometimes I, I can be I think we've gotten that before actually as well, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Have you read his book, the negotiation books? Like back, I think it was like back in early 2000s, he wrote a couple books, right? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read them yet, um, but just a massive, massive admirer of kind of, and I guess he's in real estate as well and even like, I mean, he sat in the most powerful seat in the world of being president of America. So just looking at that, he's just such an intelligent guy. And I think he plays like four or five moves ahead of everyone else. So yeah, he's definitely someone I'd love to have dinner with. Awesome. Really appreciate you jumping on, Jordan. Your story has been fantastic. It's hard to believe that you're only 24 because you present yourself um, as, as someone who's much more mature than that. You're doing amazing things in real estate and outside of real estate. If people want to reach out to you, how could they best do so? Yeah, so um, my my business Instagram handle is uh, Clem Cav Real Estate. Uh, me and Ryan are posting on there as, as much as we can. And my personal one's uh, George Clements. So yeah, feel free to drop me a message or, or reach out through there. I'm also on LinkedIn and everything else as well. We can just search Jordan Clements. Awesome. When you're 30, we'll have you back on. Um, still remember <laughs> us when you're on the floor. <laughs> but... Um, Nonetheless, everyone, if you guys enjoyed this episode, which I don't see any reason why you wouldn't have, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, do whatever you can to support the podcast. I think we're at 98 reviews. So let's try to bump that to 100 by the end of the year. Please, that would be a perfect Christmas gift for us. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.